We're going to start in the, uh, the book of Acts, where we left off last week. Book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, where we will begin. How many of you know Psalm 23? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's one of my favorite uh, verses of scripture and one that I like to say almost every single day. Uh, I do like to say it every single day. I say it almost every single day. <laughs> so how's that? Uh, you know, the Lord is our shepherd. And uh, if you look in the uh, original Hebrew, uh, well, even in whatever version of the Bible you have, it'll normally have Lord all in caps. That means really in the original it says, well, it would say Jehovah if they wrote the whole word, but they didn't write the whole word out. So uh, Jehovah is our shepherd. Uh, that means the God who created the heaven and the earth and the sea, the only one true God, is our shepherd. And uh, I do not want. I say that every day, um, pretty much every day. The Lord is my shepherd, I do not want. I say I do not want for health, I do not want for ability, I do not want for opportunity, and I never want for money. I have everything uh, that I'll ever need because the Lord is our source and our supply. Amen. So, you know, Paul talked about this word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth, uh, Jesus says, Lord, believe your heart, God raised it from the dead. Uh, the principle in the word of God about being faith people and people of faith is that you believe and speak. We believe and speak. And many times, some of the only action you can put to your belief is your speaking. Sometimes there's other action you can put. You can physically do things. You know, Jesus said, if you see someone in need and you just say, oh, you know, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them something to help them out, uh, you really haven't done anything. You just talked. So the thing about faith and believing and speaking is when you see something in the Word of God that really uh, lights you up on the inside, really turns you on, it's, it's important to speak those things, believe those things, and then do those things. So you see from the Word of God that the Lord will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. That's one of the reasons I like Psalm 23, is the Lord is my shepherd, I do not want. King James, which is how most people actually know that scripture, even though a lot of people don't use King James today. But that's been quoted so much at funerals and, you know, all different kind of events. I shall not want. Uh, so I say the Lord is my shepherd, I do not want. He provides for me. And he's really the best provider yes. uh, that I could ever ask for. I have tried to provide for myself. I've tried to make my own way, and I've found he does way better. Mm -hmm. If I'll just get my hands off of it and let him have his hands on it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's a, he is really a great, great provider. Uh, before we read Acts chapter 1 here, I remember we're talking about Christianity and what is Christianity. You know, one of the things, you know, they first called them Christians at Antioch. You know, and they called them that in a derogatory sense, to be honest with you. It was, uh, oh, those are Christians. Those are ones like Christ. Closest thing I can uh, compare that to in my life is we went to a Rhema Bible Training Center, and then we're on staff with Kenneth Hagin Ministries and traveled with Dad Hagen for a couple years. And uh, the derogatory term that people would have for us was Haganites. <laughs> so... Um, so you see the derogatory term for people that were like Christ was Christians. Oh, they're just a bunch of Christians. Well, then it took off. And they're like, okay, I'll embrace it. I'll take that. You know, uh, I'm happy to be like Christ. You know, you can call me a Christian. 
You know, you're one of those people that believes in forgiving people, that believes in loving people, that believes in giving to people. Yeah, that's me. So, uh, Christian, uh, one that's like Christ. So when you look at your life, when I look at my life, we have to ask ourselves, is my life like, is my life like the life of Christ? How much am I like him? When someone encounters me, do they encounter Jesus Christ? Is it an experience with Jesus Christ? Or is it just uh, a simple passing where they don't really even notice that you were there, that you weren't there? Or if you uh, have difficulties in traffic, was it a bad experience? <laughs> Did you give them some signs when you drove by? Uh, there's any, anywhere on the spectrum we could all be and maybe all have been. Did it quit? Okay, it's not good. Um, okay, let's start over. The Lord is my shit. No, <laughs> so let's look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's what we're going to look at today, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons with the, which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now the last part there is one of my favorite uh, parts about Jesus is that, uh, you know, if you ever have people ask you about your Christian faith or about the Word of God, sometimes I think we feel like we have to have all of the answers and we just have to tell them, answer their question, and really have them be in control of the conversation. But you notice what they said, you know, uh, Jesus said, not many days from now this is going to happen, you know, this was prophesied about, you know, John the Baptist. And it says, verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, you know what? That's really none of your business. My father's taking care of that. You're going to be witnesses unto me. He went back right what he was saying. So Jesus, so many times people would ask him a question, and he would seemingly say something completely different. Uh, that's one of the things I really liked about him. But it was what we really needed to hear. Um, so he's saying, you guys are thinking completely the wrong direction. And that's where sometimes uh, we in the church can get misguided uh, unintentionally, with really good intentions, is that all of a sudden we decide that every minister should be the president of the United States or should rule in a government office. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest things we learned from Dad Hagen was you need to stay balanced. And he always say, go down the middle of the road, because you've got people on either extreme. So you've got people that saying, no, uh, Christians shouldn't be involved in government at all. So then we come all the way over here, and nobody's in government, and then the whole government falls apart. And you have people saying, oh, no, everybody's supposed to rule and reign right now in this life. And they forget about preaching the gospel, and all they are is government, government, government. Well, we as believers, um, you know, actually the Bible said that the government would be on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So really uh, what should hold up our government is the body of Christ and Jesus Christ. And we need to be involved in our government, but the government 
sits on the foundation of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, not the other way around. So there, that's not something new, I guess is what I'm telling you. If you look here in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, even in that day, people that had uh, ate with Jesus, slept with Jesus, traveled with Jesus, they're like, okay, so now we're going to be in charge of everything? And he's like, no, 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 don't be concerned about that. You know, uh, he didn't really answer their question. He just said, you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit has come on you. You know, he said, you kind of interrupted me, and I'm going to keep going saying what I was saying. So the former uh, letter, basically, have I made O Theophilus. This was, of course, uh, the Gospel of uh, Acts is written by Luke. Just, uh, excuse me, the book of Acts was written by Luke, just like the gospel uh, that bears his name was written by him. And so today we're going to look at uh, Jesus, our model. One thing I think is really important for us to recognize is that when you look at the Gospels, and I mentioned it last week, uh, you know, it's basically the last chapter. If you go uh, to John, you don't have to turn there, but John chapter 20, from the beginning of John chapter 20 to the end, and there's only 21 chapters in John, that's where Jesus rose again. So what you'd want to do is go into your Gospels. I did it this week. And um, so I just put like some definite highlights in there so I could see it. You go to the Gospels and you look, okay, where did Jesus raise from the dead? I actually did where he rose from the dead and then also once when he ascended. Because there's a huge change that took place. Because when Jesus came, what did he come to do? He came to fulfill the law. So he's ministering under the law to fulfill the law. As soon as he's done, we, re we read right there in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 4, uh, being, uh, no, actually verse 3, he showed him to them, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So I wish we had a greater record of what happened in those 40 days and what he said in those 40 days, because those 40 days is after he ascended, put his blood on the heavenly holies of holies once and for all, so that it didn't have to happen again, that we didn't have to go into the temple again. Uh, and Jesus, Jesus did it once and for all. And so in doing this study, I'll try not to get too sidetracked here, but I had a lot of fun this week. So in doing this study, how many of you ever seen the travel? There's a traveling tabernacle that goes around the United States. And it's like this, you know, they had the, the traveling tabernacle uh, in the wilderness that they set up and made camp everywhere they went. Well, that's the only thing I had really taken much time to look at. You know, and they go around and they set up in different parking lots. I've never seen it personally. I still want to see it uh, personally because you can go and see what it was like and, you know, how they had everything set up. Well, uh, I was in studying this, you get in, you know, the book of Acts, and you start to see all of these great things that happen. And they kept mentioning, you know, and, you know, one of my favorite stories is the lame man at the gate beautiful. And how uh, Peter and John went up to him and said, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, give I you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then like the Pharisees and the rulers of the law are all disturbed because, you know, like three chapters in the book of Acts, you've got this uh, unfolding and you're seeing what's happening and they're all upset and uh, they're just distraught. So I started looking at this and said, they were all together in Solomon's porch, greatly wondering, because this guy at the beautiful gate was healed. He actually went right into the gate of the temple, started leaping, dancing, and praising God. And then there was such a commotion. They went out of that gate, and they went over uh, uh, kind of this way, if you went in the gate this way. They went over this way and started preaching, because the Gentiles still were not allowed in the temple. So the Gentiles were outside of it. Well, I started looking at these images, and I'm thinking, like, it's just a gate. It's maybe like maybe this high or whatever. 
my goodness, these pillars are like 40 feet tall, hewn of one solid piece of stone. And it's pillar after pillar after pillar after pillar. And Solomon's court, which is just, it's not even the main you know, gates part of the temple. It's just one side of the whole thing that the, that the tabernacle was inside of. It was, I think, if I recall, 100 feet, 100, 150 feet wide by 1,000 feet long. And that's just this place. So they could fit, because they're saying all these thousands of people are there and 3,000 people were added to the church that day and this many people. And I looked and I started, so if you go on, there's a guy actually in, um, I apologize, I don't know his name, but if you Google it, you'll find him. Uh, there's a guy over in the UK that for 30 years, he retired. And for 30 years, he built this little uh, building by his garden and he built this model of Solomon's temple. And you can see him like in it. It's a one one hundredth scale. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. So the reason that that's amazing to me is not because I want to live under the old covenant or live in those days, but you know, we were talking about reread the Bible like you never have before. So I've the, especially the gospels and the acts. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm looking at it and I'm picturing this, this guy's at this gate, beautiful with these like 40 foot tall pillars and he's there. And of course, Everybody that's in the area, all the priests, everyone, they're coming to the temple all the time, some of them every day, but at least everybody once a year. So all of these people knew this guy. Everybody knew this man. So when he got up, it couldn't be disputed. And anyhow, besides that, that's such an awesome, awesome story. Uh, the connection is we talked last week that you know, that's what we're going to focus this week is that Jesus is our model. We look at Jesus to know what he did. So we know what we're supposed to do. And we think of what Jesus did and what he did, you know, among so many other things is, you know, he said, I'm the son of God and only do the will of my father. We're going to talk about that. But that really kind of set the Pharisees off and set the rulers of the law off. And in our country, I think it's a little more difficult to comprehend because there is such a separation between uh, religious beliefs and the government. And I think if you look at Rome, where there's a closer connection because of the Catholic Church, even that's not close enough. These people were Jewish. It was a Jewish nation. So it was like one and the same. And um, so they're thinking he is going to uh, mess everything up. And they're thinking the same thing that his disciples were thinking. He's coming to rule right now. He's coming to take over right now. So I'm threatened. So I've got this position. And, you know, uh, you know, you saw him drive the money changers out of the temple. Well, they're all out there and you have to come and make your sacrifices. So they're selling this and, I, you know, I'm going to sell you this. I'm going to, you know, uh, so because you're going to have to come get a fresh lamb and make sacrifice. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And then they got dishonest about it and they did a bunch of other things. And Jesus came and like upset the whole thing. I mean, he drove out the money changers and turned their tables over. But I mean, that's just a representation. He came to turn everything upside down. He didn't come to make it easy or simple. So uh, what happened to him? Long story short, they got upset. They got threatened and they crucified him. They stirred up the people and got them to crucify him. And they're like, good, this thing is put to bed. You know, make sure you put some strong soldiers there, put a big stone there because they're going to try and say that they took his body and say he's still alive. And of course their plan failed because he actually rose from the dead. <laughs> it actually happened. And then, uh, you know, not too much time goes by, but enough time that the disciples do what Jesus said. And they said, you know, he said, wait in Jerusalem. You need some power from on high. You can't do this on your own. You need some power. So the Holy Ghost fell on them and they received power. And then we come to this story of, of the man at the gate, beautiful. 
And why are there like all these chapters? Because they threatened them. They would have, they would have uh, killed them. They would have stoned them right away, except for the people saw that this was an amazing miracle because everybody knew this guy. And they're like, we would have killed him. So the same exact th same thing happened in their hearts. The Pharisees, rulers of the law. They're saying, what are we going to do now? We got rid of Jesus. Now these people are acting just like him. And that's where I want to get to today is that we're to act just like him so that we're known as Christians, ones that are like Christ, that everything that he did were to do, everything that um, he made possible for us to do, that's how we're supposed to do it. So uh, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. You know, there's, uh, I got a quote here from a Hindu philosopher in India. And he said, talking about Christianity. So Hindus, uh, I don't know if you know them, but they're great thinkers. And I've been to India a couple times, and, uh, or maybe just the once to India, a couple times to the Philippines. And he said, what a tragedy when Christianity broke with Christ. And then there's another philosopher that said, a world awakening would come if Christianity and Christ could be reunited or could be united. And that's a real indictment. Now, we talked last week, T.L. and Daisy Osborne, they went over to India. It was their first missionary trip. And um, they didn't know all of this stuff that we're studying here. Um, they didn't understand uh, the power of God. They just took the Bible and said, well, the Bible's good enough. And um, they got over there, and they found out that they had, the Bible was no competition for the holy books of the people in India by itself. They're like, you know, they said, you know, we have, I remember him telling the story. He said, you know, no, you don't understand. This was written by God himself. And they, those people picked up their holy book and they said, oh, this was written by God himself. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. This was written by Jehovah God, the one and only God. Th this was written by him. And they said, yeah, 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 we, we know, we know. This was written. And so uh, long story short, they failed miserably because they didn't know what to do because they were trying to uh, intellectually get people to grab hold of the word of God. And the word of God is alive and powerful. And the Holy Ghost makes it alive and powerful. And it penetrates deep into our hearts by the power of the Spirit. So they came back and um, uh, kind of defeated and they uh, took a little church and started pastoring the church. And then uh, an evangelist came by who was mightily used of God and gifts of the Spirit. And uh, they saw the lame walk, the deaf hear. I mean, this evangelist that they, that they were traveling with, he would have a line of people come up. And when they would come up, he would say, you know, in some cases he'd say, you're Stacy, and your mom is such and such, and this is such and such, and this is what you did, you need to stop. And he would be right on. I mean, he had such a uh, word of knowledge and revelation and then gifts of healings flowing in his ministry, they're like, this is like what's in the Bible. This is what I see in the Bible. And that's, you know, uh, you know they prayed and asked the Lord to show them uh, himself and understand different things. And so they started to see that. And um, they started to do that. So they just, they said, you know, we're going to read the Bible like we've never read it before. So they did. They saw it. And they said, you know what? I see healings in here. I said, there's lots of healing. So they had a, a church. This wasn't when it was that necessarily common. So they said, well, you know what? Put all, all this advertisement out. We're having a healing meeting, having a healing meeting. And, you know, they prayed for people. People started to get healed. And then they went, their first actual uh, successful missionary trip was to Jamaica. They went to Jamaica and um, people just healed left and right. 
and not really so much by them laying hands, but by speaking the word of God in faith and believing and expecting God to do the same thing today that he did uh, in the life of Jesus and uh, what we see in the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles. So uh, point number one, Jesus is our model. Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? And again, during this whole series, I want you to think. Use your, use your head. Uh, you know, the carnal mind is enmity against God, uh, the Bible says, but uh, we have the mind of Christ. The Bible talks about, actually, the kids are talking about even today, Romans 12, 1 and 2, be renewed, um, uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you have a renewed mind, you really should use it. Because <laughs> uh, God made us, um, a, you know, multi-part being, like he's a multi-part being. And uh, as soon as you become a Christian, it's not like, okay, now I'm going to take my mind and set it on the shelf. I'm going to take my flesh and set it on the shelf. Uh, if we did that, how would we get anywhere or do anything or talk to people? So uh, it's important that we use all of uh, the wonderful gifts that God has given us. And uh, your mind is a, is a wonderful gift. Uh, you know, it was probably about five years ago now. I uh, was wakeboarding. And uh, it was my first time wakeboarding, I think. I've been up a few times, but it was my first trip where I, was, where I was wakeboarding. And so I'm wakeboarding, and all of a sudden, the tip of my board hit the water, and it, like, flipped me like this, super fast. And um, man, before I knew it, I had hit what I thought was a concrete wall. And all I remember was I was deep in the water, and I remember uh, thinking, okay, don't breathe. You can make it to the surface. You can make because I was in a lot of pain. You can make it to the surface. You can make it to the surface. So I'm just like, okay, Lord, praying, like, Lord, help me make it to the surface in Jesus' name. So I get up to the surface, and I <laughs> take a breath, and then I just, I'm like, oh, and I lay back and just fall in the water. Now, they, Jeremy was there. They all say I passed out. I don't know if I did or not. But, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the boat driver who did a, did a lot of driving and stuff like that, he, he thought I had busted something. Other people, other ladies, she was praying. She's like, Lord, you're too young to die. And <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not knowing this is happening. <laughs> so... They get me onto the boat, you know, they're really careful because they think, well, did he break his back, his neck or whatever, you know, so they're like trying to pull me up and I go into shock and I'm like shaking and they're getting this heater for me and it's in Michigan, not Virginia, so you kind of need a heater. <laughs> and um, long story short, I had a concussion and um, I had to fly out the next day to go to a church, visit another church. And um, so I went to the emergency room after they convinced me to go to the emergency room. So I learned, the whole point of telling you this is... Uh, your mind is such a blessing. And I learned a lot about how important your mind is. If you've ever been um, really sick or uh, had broken a leg or something like that, you start to realize, or anything in your body, you realize how important parts of your body are. And uh, the funny thing about having a concussion was, at least my experience, and I've read some other things, it seems like people have similar experiences. I mean, the whole time I thought, I'm fine. And so I'm like, no, I'm fine. And so I'm normally quick about politics, and I know who the president is and who the vice president is and who the secretary of state is and who the secretary of defense is. And, you know, I could go down the list on a lot of those, and I probably know, not right now, but a lot of times I know half the cabinet. And uh, so I'm in the emergency room with my wife, and the doctor comes in, and he says, who's the president of the United States? And I thought, this is so stupid. 
of course, everybody knows who the President of the United States is. And I thought, let's see, George, this is what's going through my head, and this is about how much time it's actually taken. I thought, let's see, George H.W. Bush is out of office, and then after him, Clinton came into office, and then after him, uh, Obama came into office, and I said, uh, President Obama. And I thought, it's like a split second, and I answered that question. But those thoughts came through my head, and, there, and Melody said, See, I told you, you got a concussion. You got some problems. And I said, I said, President Obama. And she's like, yeah, but you're only like that. And I said, oh, okay, that's a good point. And so I started realizing as I would have conversations that I, and I think it's a thing with brain injuries, you think that you're completely fine. I think everything's completely fine uh, until I think of what I thought the previous day. And I thought, I guess I was a little slow yesterday. <laughs> But it took me probably literally about a month to realize that I was not okay. And that um, each day, the previous day, and so until about, you know, really it took me about six months to recover from that. And um, I had most of my thoughts and everything like that. There would just be certain things that would like jar me. So it's, it's, it's a huge blessing to have our mind and so we should use it. Uh, and, you know, thank God for his healing power and that he will not only heal your body, but he'll heal, he'll heal your mind. And, um, you know, there's lots of things go, that go with a brain injury, different emotions and stuff like that. And so, um, anyhow, gave me a lot of compassion for people with uh, brain injuries or even um, geriatric people that uh, have uh, dementia and those type of things. It, uh, it can be a very difficult uh, thing. And, uh, but Jesus is there to heal every place we hurt. Every place we hurt. So... Uh, Jesus is the incarnation of God. You know, uh, the thing with being a Christian and being in the church is you hear these things and they don't really, it's not that significant of a statement, but it's really a very significant statement. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he came uh, so we could see what God's like. God saw, you know, God created Adam and Eve in the garden and he saw that it was very good and he loved it. He would fellowship with Adam and Eve. They would walk together. They would talk together. And then uh, because of the devil tempting them and them sinning by uh, yielding to his temptation, that was broken. And then God's like, I want that back. I created you to fellowship with you, to be with you. I want you to be with me. And um, so in order to accomplish that, he had to send Jesus back uh, to get us back into fellowship. And so when we see Jesus, we see what God looks like in human flesh. So before, remember, like in the Old Testament, they were afraid. They didn't like, don't speak to us. You know, Moses, you go talk to God and then come back and tell us what he says because he scares us when he speaks. We don't really want to, we don't want to hear him personally. Uh, we don't want that relationship. Uh, but God wanted that relationship and he knew that we would like that relationship. So Jesus came, what did he say? I came to show you the Father. Jesus came so we could see what God is like, what God would be like in human flesh. Um, remember, he's our model. He's our example. He's the pattern that we're to follow. So, um, you know, Jesus had a certain relationship, you could say a rapport with the Father God, with Jehovah God. So what I like to do is, uh, in the Gospel of John particularly, you can see so many things that Jesus said about God. And everything that Jesus said about his rapport with God, we can say and should say about our rapport with God when we're born again. So let's look at a couple of those right now. John chapter 10, verse 30. 
John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Do you know when you become born again, uh, we read in the epistles that we become one spirit with God. We're recreated in Christ Jesus. Uh, John 10, 38, to know and to believe that the Father's in me and that I am in him. You know, it's John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, love those chapters. I'm in him, he's in me, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can, without me, you can do nothing. Uh, you know, Jesus said, I live by the Father. We can say the same things that he said. We can live by the Father. Uh, anybody know what uh, John 10, 9 and 10 says? The thief comes. But Jesus said, I have come, what? that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, the Greek word for life there is zoe. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that's how I hear a lot of people pronounce it. Some people name their daughter Zoe, so they call them Zoe. But anyhow, I'm going to say Zoe. So the Greek word uh, for life, that you may have life and life more abundant, is Zoe. And that means life as God has life. It means the life and the nature of God himself. So Jesus said, I've come so that you could have God's life and God's nature inside of you. That's the whole reason I came. The devil came to like take, the, take stuff from you, to kill you, to destroy you, to rob from you. But I've come that you may have the same kind of life that God has in him and the same kind of life that he gave to me. I came for you to have that kind of life. And really... That's why we have come. That's why we're here. When you become a Christian, your mission is the same mission as the mission of Jesus. And that's to bring the life of God into the lives, not only of you and your family, but of those that you come in contact with. So then we've not come to steal and kill from people, but we have come to bring the life of God on the scene. To reconnect people with the life of God. Remember they said, uh, of Jesus, never before a man spoke like this. You know, they're saying never, there's no flesh, no human ever spoke like this before. One reason, because he spoke as one with authority. Well, if you're doing what Jesus did and you say, I only do the things that I see my father do and I only say the things I see him do, uh, you're going to have some authority just by doing that because you know that, like, again, like Jesus said, I'm not speaking of myself, I'm speaking of him. So a lot of the, the challenges that we sometimes face, we create ourselves, is that we're trying to speak out of our own ability, our own unrenewed mind. Not a renewed mind, but our unrenewed mind. And our own human reasoning. Well, this is how I got it figured out. Here's what I figure. If we do this and this and this, then this will work. And honestly, even if that would work, and even if you were right, you'll have a sense of hesitation and a lack of um, boldness because you don't know that that came from God. And when you're born again, you know if it comes from God, it's good, it's right, it's true, and it's going to work out. In the short term, you may, you know, like, like sowing your seed, you might be like, ah, it says sowing your seed, and I believe the whole word of God, but you have hesitation. So you don't believe it as much as we think we believe it, uh, but we still act. We still should act. We still should do it. And, um, but when you have experienced it, you get a boldness about you. You get something in your voice. You get something in your personality. You get something in your actions that didn't exist before because you said, you know what? I see this. I got this from God, a revelation from God. Uh, the word of God calls it a rhema from God. It's like a word that comes from God that's so alive that you hear it, that you feel it, that you see it. It's, it's there. And so you see it 
and then you act on it. And when you have that and you act on it, it comes to pass. And then you have it, have it. <laughs> so you had it by faith. Now you have it, have it. Uh, so nobody ever spoke like him before. But one of the reasons I think nobody ever spoke like him before was he was speaking with a nature that was from God. You think of his nature. His nature was not, I'm going to uh, put Keith down so that I look better so that people will look to me. I'm not going to try and prevent Keith from telling people a better way to life because I want my, to keep my position in the church or in the temple. I have their best interest at heart. I didn't come to do my own thing. I mean, think about that. Jesus didn't come to do his own thing. He came to show us the Father. He came to give us life. He came to show us how it should be, how it should have been before man fell. He came to say, hey, this whole system, this isn't right. Like you all are like backbiting each other. You're killing each other. You're, you know, hurting each other. It's not supposed to be like this. This is not how it's supposed to be. And, um, you know, then he showed us that you're trying to do it in your own power. You know, because I would say most honest people, even non-Christians, would realize that there's something wrong in the world. <laughs> you know, and that's why people will, you know, you know not, not uh, criticizing any of these things, but some people will join the Peace Corps and they'll join this group and that group and this group and that group. And uh, it's kind of like sometimes doctors, uh, all they know to do, especially if it's a disease they don't understand, is they'll treat the symptoms. Doctors really don't heal. They just put your body in a position to heal itself is what they call it. Uh, God created the body to heal itself, but God does heal today. God does intervene in our bodies today. And um, it's kind of the same thing where, uh, you know, people want to do good, but really we need to get with the creator. And we need to get the life of God and the nature of God into us. The life of God will annihilate and drive out any sickness or any disease in your body. The nature of God will make you the most lovely person in the world. It doesn't make you a wimp, though. Yeah. You know, you've got boldness. And um, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they'd been with Jesus. So he had uh, Zoe in his words. He had authority in his words. You know, words that we speak are like containers, so you can take a container and put stuff in it. You speak words from God and you can give someone a container uh, that can drive out sickness, disease, uh, depression, anguish, poverty, lack. Uh, the words that we speak, when we speak them in faith and we believe that they are true, they'll penetrate any situation. They'll change any situation. They'll bring life to any situation, any dark situation. There's no situation that's too dark, too difficult, too far gone, too past, it doesn't matter uh, what's happened in your physical body, whether you chose it or you didn't choose it. It doesn't matter what happened in your mind, whether you chose it or like me, you didn't choose it. It doesn't matter what happened uh, when you were growing up, uh, what happened to you. It, it doesn't matter. Jesus paid the price for all of it, and then he made a way for you to have the life and the nature of God. He made a way for me to have the life and the nature of God. So it's awesome. We have really good news for people. And, you know, we make it sometimes too, um, maybe too book-oriented or too, like, this is a class. I'm going to teach you a class. And so we're sitting down with somebody at a restaurant. Okay, let me pull up my notes and teach you a class. It's like, no, no, no. You can live like Jesus lived. You can have a life like he had. Do you know Jesus came? He was the Prince of Peace. He came that we might have peace. 
He came for peace. I think John, what is it? John chapter 20. Let's look at John chapter 20 real quick. John chapter 21, uh, 20 verse 21. Then Jesus said to them, again, peace be to you. As my father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You realize uh, Jesus said, peace be to you. Because there's so much turmoil, so much, if you look at everything people are going through, we all need peace. Uh, and people don't have peace. And then he said, what did he say right after that? My peace I give you. He said, as my father has sent me, I'm sending you. So he said, I didn't come here of my own authority. God sent me here. And so we say the same thing. I mean, I did not come to Washington, D.C. because of my own authority or because of my own ideas or my own thoughts. God sent me here. God sent me to this city, to this place, to this region. And I didn't come because I decided to come. I came on orders. So have you ever been in the military? You get orders. And then my, my, I don't know how they do them now because I was in the mid-90s and the, sometimes you start to feel a little older. But my orders were like this thick. And it's like page after page after page. I'm like, why do you need so many pages to tell me to go to Fort Meade, which is one of the places I was. Uh, but I came here on orders. Well, what's interesting is that means if God told you go and preach the gospel, which he told every single one of us, go and preach the gospel. If God told me to come here, if he told you to come here, if he told Jesus to come to the earth, what does that, what does that say to us? He delegated his authority. He said, I want you to go over to uh, Nagaland, India, in the city of Dimapur, who's a friend, missionary friend of mine that's there, and I want you to plant a church and establish a church. So then does he have permission from the greatest authority? He only has permission, he has commission. I have commissioned you to go. I told you, oh, here's John Routon, here's where I want you to go. I want you to go here. I want you to minister to these people. And so he gave authority. So Jesus delegated authority. And you look at, uh, you know, the end of uh, the gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 28. Of course, we're talking about Mark 16 on the way. You know, at the end of all of these gospels, which I referred to at the beginning of the message here, we see uh, Jesus delegating authority to us, to the church. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spoke and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatever I uh, have commanded you. And I'm not going to go through all of those because authority is not my subject today. But you see that Jesus took, and he did all of this stuff, and then at the end of his life, earth life, he said, now I did all this, now you go. I did all this so that you could go. But what did he say? He said, I, I have to ascend to my Father first, because if I don't ascend, the Holy Spirit can't come. So I've got to go. I'm going to go to my Father. Once I go, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and then you wait till you get his power from on high, and then you go. So he said, go, but wait. <laughs> One very important thing. Uh, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And... Um, because he didn't want us to uh, not be successful. So going back a little bit, Christianity is not just a set of beliefs. It's not just, you know, this is, my this is the way I think about things. 
I would use the word philosophy, but I don't want you to kind of glaze over it. Like, so it's not my philosophy. It's not just how I think about it. It's not just my club. It's not just how I have things figured out. Christianity is a life. And a life with the life of God and the nature of God. Meaning that uh, when we look at the life of Jesus Christ and we see all that he did, he went teaching, preaching, and healing. Every manner of sickness, every manner of disease. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Why? For God was with him. So uh, the message I want us to get is that God is with us. God is in us. And that Jesus gave us this great example. Sure, there's things that Jesus did that we would never do. Like Jesus redeemed us. Jesus bought us back. You know, redemption actually means to put back just exactly the way it was. So our relationship with God in the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve, Jesus bought us back and redeemed us, put us back so that we're back right with God, so that that fellowship that we talked about that Adam and Eve enjoyed, we can enjoy that fellowship and God can enjoy that fellowship with us. So Jesus redeemed us. Jesus paid the price and then he showed us how to do what he did in representing God and bring the life and nature of God into your daily life, into my daily life, uh, into my world, into your world, and the world that we see around us that's so aching and hurting. I don't think I wrote it down, but uh, uh, it was Ukraine. So, uh, T.L. Osborne was in uh, the Ukraine, and he was uh, ministering. And when he got there, uh, I don't want to confuse the stories. There's two stories. Um, well, one story, he went to, uh, I think it was uh, Sweden, got to Sweden, got off the plane. And in Sweden, they're very, it's a very atheistic country. And, you know, they, they wanted to know, like, you know, you're going to raise the dead? And he said, oh, you're, you're very, uh, you've been reading up on me, haven't you? And <laughs> they said, uh, they said, yeah. He said, well, he said, I didn't do those things. Jesus did them. Well, they didn't know what to do. So they ended up writing a, a, a good article about him. <laughs> and, um, you know, you realize that Jesus said, the f- I don't do the works. The father in me, he does the works. So there's not a lot of uh, pressure on us because uh, like Brother Higgins used to say, I couldn't heal a gnat's wing. I couldn't heal a fly's eyeball. And what was his other one he said? I don't know. He had a few that he would always say when he was doing healing. You know, Jesus is the healer. Look to Jesus because, you know, he's the one that's going to heal you, not me. So he's the one that's going to heal people. Yeah, he uses our, our hands, our feet, our flesh, but um, Jesus is... Jesus is the healer. Let's see where I'm left off here. So Jesus is our model. And, you know, I could go through many, many other scriptures that talk about, um, you know, us being in the Father and the Father being in us. And we say the same thing as Jesus. But I think you get the point. So number two, what was his mission? What was Jesus' mission? It was to reveal God's plan and will on the earth. It was to reveal God in the flesh. It was to reveal God's love plan. 
Jesus' mission was to reveal how God wants us to be. Jesus' mission uh, was to redeem us and to demonstrate in human flesh God's original dream, that it never died, that he always dreamed of a relationship uh, with us, with mankind. And his mission was, of course, to pay the price so that God's dream could come to pass, his original dream. So why did he need to come? Uh, We touched on this a minute ago. He came because he needed to redeem us. Because God's dream was to have a relationship with us, but he couldn't do that. Because sin cannot be in the presence of God. Uh, my, I like the example where you look at uh, when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant and Uzzah reached up to steady the thing and touched it, and you're not supposed to touch it, and he fell dead. God didn't like that, that he fell dead. God wanted to be able to come into us and be with us, but he didn't want to kill us. And he can't be with sin. So he made a way through Jesus Christ uh, to annihilate sin. He removed sin for us. And, you know, it's kind of a mystery how he did that because Jesus did it over 2,000 years ago now, but it affects us right here today and now. So he knew that we would mess up. He knew everything that we would do, and he paid for it and got rid of it. And so that's why I love to come by the blood of Jesus. And I, you know, I come to God by the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel. The blood of Jesus is alive and it speaks. So when you come by the blood of Jesus and you say, Father God, I'm coming to you right now, not based on my own accomplishments or my own works, but I come with the blood and by the blood of Jesus based on his works and his accomplishments, because I'm not good enough to come on my own. I can't do it on my own. Even with your spirit living on the inside of me, sometimes I flesh out. Sometimes I reason out. Sometimes I just mess up. So I'm coming right now with the blood of Jesus. And I know when I come with the blood of Jesus, it doesn't matter how I messed up because Jesus took care of every little mess up that I did. Anyhow, the word sin actually just means uh, it's like a, a military type of term and it has to do with missing a target. So if I drew a target here, if I had a, I'm going to have to get some markers. I can tell I'd love to use this. We're only in here for one more week and then we go over there. So um, anyhow, there's a target. And so if you don't hit the bullseye of that target, you sinned, you messed up. So what do you do if you're a, a hunter? Maybe you're a bow hunter and you're like, you know, I'm going to learn to be a bow hunter. I have not learned it yet. We're looking at a house that has lots of deer around it. So maybe I can learn to hunt. Anyhow. So, uh, you know, you hunt and if you're practicing with your bow and arrow or you're practicing with a a handgun or a rifle, uh, many of those would be easier than others. So you're practicing and you miss the mark. What do you do? You just give up and say, well, it's all done. I'm finished. I obviously am not going to be a hunter, or I obviously will never hit that target. No, you just look, okay, how did I mess up? Okay, let me correct. I'm going to make a little correction, and I'm going to do it again. And maybe you still don't hit the target. You get a little closer, though, and you just keep re-aiming. And I think the devil, you know, Jesus came to set the captives free, and the devil wants to keep us captive any way that he can keep us captive. One of the ways that he can keep us captive is he says, you're not perfect. You need to be perfect. You need to never mess up. Well, that's never going to happen. And we know it's never going to happen, but sometimes that's an underlying um, attitude that we allow to slip in and trip us up. And so 
we don't willfully sin. We don't like, well, I've got God's grace, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, live however I want to have. You know, the grace of God actually leads you to repentance. So you aim at the target, and if you miss the target, you just shoot again. <laughs> You're like, okay, well, I'm going to correct, shoot again. I'm going to correct, shoot again. And every time you miss, Jesus took care of all those misses. So when God sees you hitting the target, he sees you perfect, dead on. Like, actually... If I was shooting back there, he would see that arrow, and then the next arrow hit the back of that arrow, and it just stuck in that arrow, and the next arrow hit the back of that arrow, because every time I hit right on. Because in Christ, I hit right on. So anytime that we've messed up, that I've messed up, that you've messed up, that uh, incidentally anybody else in the body of Christ has messed up, Jesus paid for it. So uh, even if we see someone else, and we shouldn't just say like, eh, <laughs> Tom, you can't hit that target. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Be more likely me because he, he deer hunts. But, you know, you don't have to criticize me because I missed the target. <laughs> he doesn't. He's a great father-in-law. Uh, but you get my point. So it's not only for ourselves, but it's for other people in the body of Christ. That uh, we don't want to um, focus on the missed mark. We want to focus on the target. When, you know, Peter got out of the boat, what happened? Why did he sink? He got his eyes off of Jesus. He got his eyes on the wind and the waves and how they were like, you know, huge and, you know, impossible. Like, I mean, I just imagine I'd be walking on the water and I'm doing pretty good, but Jesus is there and these waves are so big that every once in a while Jesus disappears because <laughs> the waves are going up and down like this. And that's a little scary, even if you are walking on the water. So, uh, you know, the Lord will lead you if you're in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith goes beyond what your natural mind can comprehend and understand. So when you're walking by faith and living by faith, that necessitates you living a life that's beyond where you're comfortable, beyond where your flesh is comfortable, beyond where your reason can figure every little thing out. It's, it's we walk by faith and not by sight. But it's a very secure place to be, like I said, because if you're getting orders from headquarters, then you know, okay, I might not understand how I'm going to get from point A to point B, but that's not really my concern. My concern is I'm working for God and I'm, I'm serving him. So why did he need to come? He needed to come, you know, because of what I just said, we kept missing the mark and we never really hit the mark until he came. Uh, and number two, why did he come? He came uh, so that he could live in us, make us right with God. Uh, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I like to say we are what's right about God in Christ. In Christ, if there's anything right about God, that's what we are. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He put us in right standing. You know, it's, it's the whole thing of I don't measure up. I shouldn't be here. I've messed this up. I messed that up. That's what righteousness is. It's like I'm not worthy to be here. I, I can't do it. No, no. Jesus set it up so that you are more than worthy. And if you ever have uh, struggles with that, and the devil will always try to tell pretty much everybody that, just realize if you allow that attitude to pervade your being, that you're really, I'm saying this lightly because I love all of you and I love myself, and so I struggle with the same things as everybody else, is that uh, we really are taking the blood of Jesus, which is like the ultimate, and kind of putting it down here and saying, oh, the blood of Jesus isn't that powerful. My sin is more powerful than the blood of Jesus. How I messed up is more powerful. And that's really what we're doing. And if you can let yourself, uh, let that consciousness stir inside of you, you'll stand differently and act differently because you're really walking by faith. And you're saying, no, 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 
I don't care, devil, what you're saying I did or what picture you're bringing back to my mind of what I did. Jesus took care of it. He did all of it. I'm not doing this with my own ability anyhow. I'm doing it with the ability of Jesus Christ. I'm not doing it with how good I can be. I'm doing it with how good he was and is and evermore shall be. I'm doing it um, by the power of the blood of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And I have the life and nature of God. Wow, that comes up really high. Uh, so what did Jesus, uh, you know, and then third, thirdly, uh, Jesus is counting on us. He's banking on us. Like he doesn't have a plan B. God doesn't have a plan B. We are it. So what did we say last week? That Methodist minister quote, like what, tell me one thing that God can do in your community today without flesh to do it in. One thing. Think of one thing that God could do without flesh to do it in. He needs a body. If he could have, why did he send Jesus in the flesh? Why did he send Jesus in the flesh? And then why did Jesus say, it's better for you that I go away? Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. But if I do, the Holy Spirit can come, and then you can be just like me. So uh, is, how many Holy Spirits are there? One. One Holy Spirit. So if you receive the Holy Spirit when uh, and you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And Jesus received power when the Holy Spirit came on him. Don't have time to go into it, but Jesus did not do miracles as a child. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, and then he began to do his ministry and his miracles. So when you're born again, you're recreated by the Holy Spirit on the inside. You become one spirit with God. And then uh, you be endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit not only then comes in you, but he can come upon you. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can come upon you. And then you can be witnesses for me. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's not like first you're going to do Jerusalem, then you're going to Judea, then you're going to do Samaria, then you're going to... It's actually simultaneous. And, and, and. Not then, then, then. It's and, and, and. So we're to be a witness wherever we go uh, and wherever we are. But he doesn't have a plan B. He's counting on us. And he gave us the same anointing that he gave Jesus. He gave us the same Holy Spirit that he gave Jesus. He gave us the same tools that he gave Jesus. So what he gave Jesus, he gave to us. And the reason he could give it to us is because Jesus got rid of the problem, which was the sin problem, which was the I can't live in you problem. So now if God can live in us, what's the limitation? The limitation that can be there is our thinking. That's why we have to renew our minds or our lack of uh, uh, being a doer of the word. If we don't act, how can he act? If we don't pray for someone, how can he pray for someone? John Wesley said, it seems God is limited by our prayer life, that he can do nothing unless someone asks him. And that's just talking about prayer. But if God wants to do something here in our community here, how is he going to do it? He's going to do it through you, through me, through the church down the road that believes Jesus Christ and that uh, will step out in boldness and faith for him. But what's the difference got to be? The difference has to be the power of God. The difference has to be the life and nature of God in you and in me showing up. And how does it show up? Uh, really, it's when, uh, that's not my subject, but it's when you're bold. With great boldness, uh, they gave testimony to Jesus and signs and wonders followed them. Um, stretch out your hand with all boldness uh, at the end of where uh, they were actually beating Peter and John because of the healing of the lame man at the gate. You know, they said, Lord, you know, Behold their threatenings and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy child, Jesus. 
So uh, you see persecutions, you see things happening around the world, and we need boldness as believers. And the body of Christ needs boldness uh, to reach out. Number four, what did Jesus uh, begin that we are to continue? Uh, he revealed God. He brought light into the world. He fellowship with God, and he loved people. We continue the same thing. And then the big one, number five, what unlocks the miraculous power of God or life of God in our lives? It's seeing Jesus as our model. Excuse me. And seeing his life as our model, the Christ life. So we look at him, we see what he did, how uh, he wouldn't go with all the traditions, all the regular things, but he went really to reach people and to love people and to be there for people. And how he did that was he brought God on the scene. And you can bring God on the scene, I can bring God on the scene. And he drew attention to God. So, uh, you know, if you've been in um, charismatic circles, word of faith circles, anything like that, where maybe you have... Uh, more information about believer's authority and our position and the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, sometimes people will get hung up and they'll draw attention to themselves. I like uh, Dr. Brother Osborne says sometimes, some people go, they'll pray for somebody with a headache and then they'll have these cards printed, great healer in the area, you know, Tim Ostrom, and hand them out to everybody. And he said, I wonder sometimes if we don't have more miracles in America is because we try to get all the glory ourselves and don't give any to the Lord. And really... Our job is to glorify Jesus Christ and to glorify God the Father. And again, that's one of my favorite things that Jesus did that we are to do, which is, you know, the works that I'm doing, it's, he's the one doing the works. I'm not even doing the works. Think about that. That's God in the flesh saying, I'm not doing the works. I'm just doing what my Father's saying. And so we have a, a great opportunity to uh, be Jesus in the earth. And we have the best example, the best model that we know is perfect without sin and you know, there's many other people. You can follow people's faith, those type of things. But you always need to keep your focus on Jesus. Always uh, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith and of my faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the uh, great freedom we have to uh, study your word, to learn from your word. We thank you for the anointing of your spirit. Father, we thank you that uh, when we look at your word, when we pour over your word, that you make it real to us, you make it alive to us by your spirit. Father, that you teach us, that you lead us, and that you guide us. Father, I pray for uh, each and every person under the sound of my voice that you'll give us revelation, understanding of your word and of your life in us as we never have seen before. Father, that you'll uh, lead us down a path that you'd have us to go in, that you'll uh, grant us boldness that we may speak your word, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that uh, you've given us the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus and your life and your nature. And we thank you for a great day today. We thank you for every father. Father, we just plead the blood of Jesus over every father, everything that concerns them. Father, the things that they are drawn to, the things that they uh, look at, that they study, that they peruse, that they learn. Uh, father, we thank you for being the very best father. We pray that you'll always help us to see your life and your example and that you'll help us to live up uh, to everything that you paid for for us, that we wouldn't um, miss out on something here that you have for us, Father. Most of all, that you'll give us great opportunities to uh, interact with people and tell them about Jesus Christ, tell them about your life, tell them about your peace, tell them about your joy, tell them about your strength, tell them about your power and about the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.